Good morning, Access. My name is John. I serve as a pastor here at this church. And to be um, quite honest, preparing for this uh, particular message this Sunday has felt um, very weighty. Um, as everyone knows, there's a lot of anxiety in the world right now. There's a lot of anger and a lot of mistrust. Um, and so, you know, coming into this Sunday, uh, I've been praying a lot. I've been asking others to pray for me. And um, I want to let you know that uh, I'm going to do my best to be faithful to the Word of God and most of all to Christ. Um, I have personally felt particularly challenged these last couple of weeks. Um, two weeks ago, I learned that a college friend, uh, her husband, um, had to be life flighted to Houston because he had contracted COVID and his lungs were failing. Uh, his life was um, quite literally in the balance. Um, thank God he's in a much more stable condition right now, but it's still very touch and go and uncertain. And then of course, like many of you, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the images of what was happening at the Capitol building um, at the Capitol a couple weeks ago. Um, I couldn't believe that our Capitol was under siege. Uh, I was shocked to see lawmakers cowering in fear um, and the Capitol Rotunda turn into a stage for an insurrection. But probably what grieved me the most was seeing uh, Jesus saves banners and crosses, right? Symbols of our faith commingled into what was taking place that day. Because I do believe Jesus saves, but not in that way. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are those who see uh, these events very differently than I do. And perhaps some of you do as well. Uh, but I am sure that we can agree that it's hard to believe that it's only two weeks into 2021 and to realize that it, it's, it feels like our world is uh, spinning more and more out of control. And I'm here to remind all of us, right, all of us, whether we lean left or right or somewhere in the middle, whether we are black or white or brown or Asian, um, whether we are healthy or whether we are sick, that we will get through this. Not because of the power of the human spirit, but because of the power of God's love. Because of the power of God's sovereignty and God's holiness and God's very being. God is not afraid of anything that is happening. Grieved, saddened, angered even, yes, but not afraid. Why? Because God holds all of history in his hands. We follow a God who faced the worst of human sin and evil and came out victorious on the other side. Last week, Pastor Ted introduced our scripture passage for the year, 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, 
but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Would you, would you say that with me? For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This week, I'm going to be focusing on the first part of this verse. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. And so I want to ask the question, what does God want to say to us about fear and power? These are very timely and relevant words, aren't they? So let's pray together. Gracious God, I thank you that you are here in our midst. I pray that through your spirit, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. In Christ's name, amen. So let's listen to the verses that come before 2 Timothy 1.7 so that we can get a better uh, sense of how we might hear these important words. Starting at verse 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I suppose there are many ways to hear these words. We might hear these words as though we were like a soldier in an army and our commanding officer, strong and proud, is uh, telling us, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So suck it up, soldiers. Or maybe we hear it as though we're on a team and the coach is telling us at halftime, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power. Let's go, team. Or we might hear it as though we are a church and the pastor is telling us, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power. So come on, church. But I don't think any of these are the main sense of this passage. As I read it out loud, did you catch how affectionately Paul talks to Timothy? He calls him dear son. He says he constantly remembers him in prayers and longs to see him. You see, through his missionary journeys, Paul had developed a close bond to Timothy. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. But more than that, Timothy had become like a son to him. Timothy, whose main spiritual influences were his mother and grandmother, had now also found a spiritual father in Paul. And so these words come blanketed in love, not in fear or anger or shame, not with a pointing finger or furrowed brow, but with all the power of love 
that unites a parent to their child. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. You could do this, son. And so these words are meant to inspire us and to encourage us and to build us up as they were meant to build up Timothy. I think it's so important that we hear these words in that way. Now, it's really easy to focus on the words timid and power. Uh, There's an obvious contrast between these two words. The word translated timid is the Greek word dahlia, and some translations translated as fear, others timidity. It can have connotations of cowardice or mean lacking mental or moral strength. The word translated power comes from the Greek word dunamis, from where we get the English words like dynamic and dynamite. Those who are timid usually lack power, and those who are powerful have little in common with the timid. And it's easy to assume that Paul is telling Timothy, son, don't be afraid, be powerful. But that's not his main point. Paul's main point is, Timothy, God gave you the Spirit. God gave you the Spirit. And you have something, rather someone, residing inside of you, in your very being, that makes all the difference in the world. The scriptures teach us that when we place our faith in Christ, God makes his home in us through the Spirit, right? Through the third person of the Trinity, Those of us uh, who were baptized recently, those of you who were baptized recently, did you know that the Spirit of God lives in you? I know this is basic Christianity, like 101, but we easily forget this truth. We tend to pray and imagine God as like up there in the sky, out there in the heavens, but in fact, God is closer than we know. God's Spirit lives in us and He gives us access to all the resources And if we can learn to keep in step with that spirit, if you and I can learn to consciously depend on God's spirit in our daily life, we'll see that God's spirit doesn't give birth to fear, but gives birth to power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit doesn't traffic in fear. There's some indication that Timothy, who had been entrusted with leading the church in Ephesus, didn't quite feel up to the task, that he lacked confidence. And elsewhere, Paul tells him, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That's in 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul knew that Timothy, like all of us, felt afraid at times. And And he wanted Timothy to understand that while it's natural to be afraid, Fear isn't from the Spirit. Look around. There is a lot of fear going around. It wears many masks and disguises. It parades as anger and riots and yelling and blaming. But really, underneath it all is fear. Fear is the primal engine that's been in overdrive. And this morning, I wanted to speak to both the left and the right and those in the center who are part of this community. And I acknowledge that I come to this with my own biases 
my own blind spots and my own perspective. But in this moment, I want to come to you as one of your pastors and just to name the fears that I've seen and heard. To those of us who lean left, there is a fear that the foundations of democracy and truth are being eroded. There is a fear that the ideologies of racism and nationalism and white supremacy are becoming more deeply intertwined with the Christian faith. There is a fear that our children will grow up in a society where racism and violence are sanctioned. There is a fear that the extreme right is growing too powerful. And to those of us who lean right, there is a fear that the foundations of democracy and truth are being eroded. There is a fear that the ideologies of Marxism and socialism and secularism are becoming more deeply intertwined with the Christian faith. There is a fear that our children will grow up in a society where they don't have the right and the freedom to practice their faith and that opposing ideologies and lifestyles will be forced upon them. There is a fear that the extreme left is growing too powerful. Some of these fears have gripped me. Some of them have gripped you and your parents and your friends. So what do we do in response to these fears? Is it to find refuge in the center? No, the political center has its own set of fears. But I can say without any equivocation, as followers of Jesus, we must renew our gaze and focus on Jesus as the only rightful center. We must renew our gaze on Jesus as the only rightful center. Hebrews 12, written as believers were facing mounting persecution, it enjoins Christians to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector, perfecter of faith. Why? Because in Jesus, we see one who was full of the Spirit, who was not led by fear. Although there were many things to be afraid of, Jesus was not led by fear, but full of the power of God. Jesus lived in true power. Let me speak very clearly. The power that Jesus demonstrated was not the power of coercion, manipulation, force, or violence. It was not the power to suppress or oppress or deceive. That is false power. That is carnal power. That is power that comes from this world. That is power that comes from the pit of hell. The power Jesus embodied was different. The power that Jesus embodied was the power to offer bread to his betrayer. It was the power to heal the ear of the soldier who had come to arrest him after Peter had struck it off with a sword. It was the power to be struck on the cheek and offer the other. It was the power to be mocked and to yet forgive. It was the power of 
perfect love laid bare on the Roman cross. As Jesus spoke the truth loud and clear about our sin, revealing how ugly and distorted humanity had become, and then in rising again, showed us that love and sacrifice, that these are the only pathways to justice, to peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation for God's people. Friends, God has not given us a spirit that makes us timid, but gives us power. A power that gives us strength to endure suffering. Did you see that in verse 8? Not to eliminate it, but to endure it. A power to lay down our rights and our privileges. A power to pursue holiness and righteousness and justice. A power that moves us toward the powerless and those on the margins. A power to love God and to love our neighbor and to love even our enemies. Um, our family has really enjoyed the show Mandalorian. Um, and throughout the show, uh, we learn of this Mandalorian code, uh, a set of values and commitments and practices uh, that guide uh, the Mandalorian's actions. And he'll frequently say, this is the way. This is the way. What I've just described uh, is the way of Christ followers. And I am concerned and I am grieved that many of us have departed from this way. For much of my life, I've had a very strange relationship to fear and power. Uh, in elementary and middle school, uh, I encountered uh, a fair share of bullying by a few guys, but one in particular. Um, he had power, and I was afraid of him. He was at least twice my size, and he had rightly earned his reputation as a bully, uh, both with his words and with his fists. Well, a friend of mine uh, and I had spearheaded uh, this uh, dance party for our sixth grade class. Um, and uh, we were in charge of organizing it, putting it on, and uh, we totally botched it. It was like the lamest party ever. And when it ended, my friend and I were just sat there dejected. Um, well, this guy, um, the bully guy, came up to us, and he said something really rude, designed to you know, further insult me and make us feel worse than we already felt. Uh, and I was just so angry. I replied by muttering a swear word at him. And he said, what'd you say? And I think I mumbled something like, well, you heard what I said. Uh, well, he walked over to me and then he just slapped me on the face, scoffed and then walked away. What was my reaction? I did nothing. I just sat there, stunned, uh, but mostly present to the sting on my face where his hand had hit my face, and also present to the 
awareness that the dejection I had felt was now replaced by humiliation. I have a weird relationship with fear and power. Growing up, I've often felt timid and unpowerful. And the power that I've experienced and seen has often been the power to, uh, has been misused or, or leveraged in damaging ways by those who held that power. And now in my adult years, I find that sometimes I am tempted to be allured to that kind of power so that I don't feel weak. But Jesus shows us a different way. And throughout history, we've had a cloud of witnesses who have shown us by their example what it might look like for people, for men and women, to live in the spirit that doesn't make us timid but gives us power. MLK's life, along with people like Rosa Parks, was to offer their lives as a contrast to false power. They showed us the spirit-infused power of nonviolence to speak truth to worldly power, to stand for what is right and just without falling prey to the intoxicating effects of false power. Keep in mind that during this time, black leaders and citizens had an alternative pathway in their pursuit of civil rights. Malcolm X advocated for a different vision of racial equality and justice and was critical of nonviolence. This weekend, we honor the legacy of MLK and other spirit-filled people who stood for what is right and just. And this holiday has not ceased to be relevant. And what many of you may not know is that in our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, it has an important history in relation to civil rights that I think in many ways is also a clear example of what it looks like for us to be people who live out 2 Timothy 1.7. In the 60s, many white churches were wrestling with what to do and what to make of this budding civil rights movement. Some opposed it. Some agreed in principle, uh, but chose to stay out of, the f- out of the fray, out of fear. And still others chose a different path to use their power to stand with our black brothers and sisters hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder. One example of this was Douglas Cedarleaf, uh, a white pastor of North Park Covenant Church in Chicago, Illinois. Now, it's important to understand something. Uh, Today, the Covenant Church is this incredibly diverse, multi-ethnic fellowship of churches across North America. But it started as a mono-ethnic group of Swedish immigrants in the 1880s. The Covenant is an immigrant church. And I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. Up until the 1930s, only 17% of Covenant churches conducted their services in English. Right? The rest, the majority, spoke Swedish in their services. But along the way, something changed. In the thick of civil rights, against the backdrop of MLK and nonviolent protesters being arrested en masse on their, in Birmingham, against the, the backdrop of the horrific scenes of attack dogs being released and water hoses being sprayed upon high school students hitting our TV waves, Cedarleaf delivered a sermon on June 16, 1963. 
calling the Covenant Church to stand in solidarity with the Black community. Cedarleaf asked, let me ask you where God is in this whole business where one-tenth of the population of America is crying for justice. Is God hearing this cry? Will God answer this cry? When they cry, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, will God hear what they have to say? And it sounds to me as though the voice of God himself is thundering through the pain of these people. You had best wake up. Wake up, lest at last you shall be submerged in the wrath of the Heavenly Father, who will not allow one-tenth of the human beings in this nation to be denied their basic rights. Powerful words. Powerful words. In subsequent years, the covenant pioneered the work of establishing black churches in the Chicago area and beyond. Our black brothers and sisters have now become an integral part of this fellowship and this story of the covenant. They are our colleagues and our friends. Today, Access is in regular fellowship with black ECC churches along with Latino, white, Asian, and multi-ethnic congregations. Those of you who have attended our Mid-South Youth Conference camp know just how special uh, what we are able to experience together is. Our denomination and access are resolved and committed to the work of racial righteousness and justice and reconciliation. Not because it is in vogue, not because it is PC, but because we believe the gospel demands it. God has reconciled humanity to himself and he has reconciled us to one another. He has broken down the wall that separates us. And yet, human brokenness and human sin continues to erect walls built on false ideologies that we must name, repent of, and seek to do better. We are who we are today because people chose to live by a spirit who does not make us timid, but gives us power. Church, there are fears lurking behind every corner. And I've mostly focused on the fears being awakened due to the current political climate. But for many of us, the fears gripping us are more simple maybe more common. Our fears are centered on friends and family who are sick, and we're just not sure what's gonna happen. Our fears are centered around our future, our jobs, and insecurity that comes with so much unknowns. Our fears are centered around our kids and what they're facing and how they're navigating the stresses of this day. Our fears are centered on our relationships, the fractures that we see, the strain and the losses. What fear grips your heart this morning? This is what we can do. We can name our fears. 
We can repent when we see that we've misused our power to placate our fears. And we can choose to consciously depend on the Spirit, knowing that God has given us a new center, the Spirit of Christ, who frees us from the tyranny of fear and gives us the power to live in a new way. Spirit, fall afresh. Spirit, fall afresh. Amen. Earlier this week, our staff team was discussing how we were getting the sense that God may be inviting our church into a new season of spiritual renewal. We hope so. Would you join with us in praying for that? And at a very practical level, at the start of this year, at the start of each year, we'd like to invite everyone to take some time to purposely seek God's face, to earnestly ask God, God, how would you have me live my life this year? What do you want me to prioritize and commit to? Uh, All this talk about the Spirit can feel like, well, you know, what's my part? How do I participate? Well, we each have a part. You might think of it like a dance and the Spirit is our partner. What moves do you want to work on with the Spirit this year? And so we've created this Faith Village Pledge, a way just to think through uh, our commitments this year in soul, community, and mission, and to do that together as a community. And so what we're asking you to do is take some time between now and January 30th to think about and to pray to God, God, are there new commitments, new practices, new habits that I might take on that would help me live my life with you and others? Uh, In the area of soul, right, in our personal lives, in relationship to one another, in community, and on mission with God, right? How might we live on mission with God? And so those practices might look like, uh, you know, I'm going to try to read the Bible daily. I'm going to pray for my family and my neighbor across the way. I'm going to volunteer my time monthly. I'm going to join a small group this semester, this year. Um, So would you take a look at that? Would you uh, visit the link and prayerfully fill it out by January 30th because uh, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to take some time as a faith village to pray over these commitments together. Let's end by saying our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. This is the way, friends. Go in peace and the power of God.